We're talking about That's Christmas to Me by Pentatonix. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spinter Wonderland. Part two. Hello, everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. With me is Connor. Again, in person. Yes, that's right. This is another special holiday in person episode where we're talking about another Spin to Wonderland album that is pertinent to the holiday season, which we are now in. Pentatonics. I'm a big fan of Pentatonics. I'm not as big a fan nowadays, but I mean, I remember way back when, you know, the acapella craze was in full swing. Pitch Perfect had just come out. 2011, 12, 13, peak acapella years. What a phenomenon, acapella music. If you missed the acapella wave, or if you're new to the concept, acapella is music that doesn't involve any instruments. All the sounds are made with the performer's voices. It's a pretty unique style of music. Yeah, it's very impressive when done well. Especially like the beatboxers who do all the like drum parts. Yeah, can can you beatbox? I can punch a Amazon package. Does that count? Okay, you can beat a box. I don't think that's quite the same thing. If you're trying to get me to beatbox on recording, I'm not that big an idiot. (laughs) That's that's, maybe what I was trying to do. Okay, but see, you still still did it. I couldn't resist the urge. Well, isn't the trick to, like, say, boots and cats or something like that, right? Boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats. Yep, that's that's about it. I think, honestly, you should try out for Pentatonix. I will. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Pentatonix if you're not familiar, or if you are. Pentatonix are an acapella group from Arlington, Texas. Pentatonix is made up of Scott Hoying, who's the baritone, Mitch Grassi is the tenor, Kirsten Maldonado is the alto, and Kevin Olusola is the vocal percussion, and he's a baritone, and then Matt Sally is the bass. That's the five. Penta, five. Tonic. Tonic. A type of drink. Well, no. Tonic like note, you know, the, the tonic note is the one note of the scale. Yes. Except that with an X, because that's cooler. It is cooler. No one would, can you imagine if they were pentatonic? CS at the end. Disgusting. Three of them went to the same high school, which is where they started out. You know, they, they made their own little acapella group, just the three of them. So I guess back then they were still the, just the triotonics. Oh, the triotonic. Yeah, or triotonics. Well, you mean the mixtaper. We'll be the triotonics. I mean, that's... Why not? Why not? He's the mixtaper. He'll be able to mix all of our songs for us, I'm sure. Does he do that? I don't know. He's a mixologist, right? Potato, potato. Okay. Say that to any barista or any producer. You know what they say. If you can mix a martini, you can mix a album. That's, the, you know, that's what I've always heard. They graduated high school in 2010, and they solidified into the Pentatonics in 2011, which is the same year that they were featured on the acapella singing competition show, The Sing-Off. What a throwback. Do you remember that? I remember. I never watched it, but I remember it being a big deal. Oh, I did. I watched at least three seasons of it. We watched... Was The Sing-Off what we watched in choir one time yeah we watched a season of the sing-off in high school choir it might have been the pentatonic season i don't think it was i feel like i would remember that it also might not have been the pentatonic season if it was they definitely didn't stand out 
Which would be weird because I would have already known about them by then. Yeah, they would have stood out because they won the competition. I mean, imagine graduating high school and then boom, all of a sudden you're the champions of a national singing competition. I mean, a year went by, but yeah. Well, but that whole year they were a part of the show. They won $200,000. They got a recording contract with Sony. But the real driving force that picked up after the show ended was their YouTube videos. They've been super active there for the last decade, and they're still putting out really compelling content. They have some great YouTube videos. They really, they do. They, they do a really good job with their YouTube videos. In gearing up for this episode, I watched a medley they did of all of Daft Punk's songs. That's one that they're kind of pretty renowned for. It's really, it's really well put together. They released their debut EP in 2012, and by 2013... Their next non-holiday-themed release charted at number 10 on the Billboard 200. That's pretty good. Pretty good indeed. Especially for such a, I don't know, a non-conventional style of music. I don't know how prevalent acapella music is on the Billboard Top 200 there. I don't know, but that one's there. It was. Pentatonics have three Grammys to their name. They won the Best Arrangement in 2015 and 16 for that Daft Punk medley that we mentioned, and for Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, which is featured on That's Christmas to Me. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's right. And they won Best Group Performance for their cover of Dolly Parton's Jolene in 2017. I remember that one coming out too. Yeah. And that made the rounds on all the social media. But today, we're talking about... That's Christmas to me. Not Pentatonic's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that one. You know, we have a document, a, a Google folder where we share all of our notes and stuff, and we have our timeline for albums mapped out. And A lot of the Spinner Wonderland was my idea. Uh, it was my idea to do Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which we just finished recording, actually. And then this was my idea. Next week was my idea. I'm, I'm the mastermind behind Spinner Wonderland. So if you have complaints... <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so I couldn't remember the name of the album, but I knew the one I wanted. And when, I mean, we, we were putting together our list of what we wanted to do a few weeks ago. And just as a placeholder for myself, I put in there Pentatonix Christmas to remind myself I wanted to do the Pentatonix Christmas album. And I'd go find it later. I never went back and found it and put the proper title in. And so James went and listened to... So yeah, weeks, weeks ago, I started listening to the album A Pentatonix Christmas because it matched the name that was on our list. And I had, I had gone through that seven or eight or nine or ten times, and I was all ready. I had my notes started to type up, and then I clicked into the document, and I noticed that he had put down a different title, and I said, oh, no, <laughs> this is not happening. So I sent him a couple angry texts and said, what have you done, and which one are we doing? And it turns out it was the one that I did not listen to. <laughs> Remember when I had all those mix-ups where, like, the Spotify playlist was the wrong one, and it was missing songs? This yeah, is payback. At the beginning of the podcast when we couldn't listen to the music right, this is reminiscent of that. It's a throwback. A throw. I know. But not. Uh, no need to worry, though, because we've had plenty of time since we've realized that mistake, and I've listened to this album equally since then. Plenty of times. Still only once for me. This is normal for me. So Still normal for Connor. <laughs> That's Christmas to Me came out in 2014. It's their third full-length studio album, and it's their sixth release overall. Today, in 2021, they're up to nine albums and six EPs, as well as 50 music videos. Like I said, YouTube thriving. They've done great on the music video department. It was the fourth best-selling album of 2014, 
2014, and it didn't even come out until October. So that's a statistic. That's crazy. It peaked at number two on the Billboard 200, which made it the highest charting holiday album since 1962. Nice. Very impressive. Big representation for acapella music. No doubt. I know. That's a pretty good background about Pentatonix and about the album. I think it's about time that we get the mixtape ready for another week of Factor Spin. Now, I want to take some of the pressure off of him already because he's already admitted that on Spinter Wonderland days, he's he's kind of reining back a little bit. Really feeling the Christmas spirit. Right. So he's only doing the same thing that he always does, but is giving himself a hall pass for when he, <laughs> when he loses. Well, I think he's not trying to be as aggressive with his lies and deceit. You know, he's toned it back a little bit. Yeah, sure. Nobody wants to be sat around the holidays, so he's kind of just doing it more for fun. Right. Right. That makes good sense. Uh, before we get him in here, do you have any guesses at which of the members of Pentatonix was roommates with Jamie Foxx? Well, they are from Texas, so... Uh, it makes the most sense out of either of them so far, and one of them was true. Anyway, we're in person, the mixtaper couldn't make it. As we mentioned in our last episode that we just finished recording, he's pulling extra shifts at Starbucks, so we're gonna get him in here by phone. <laughs> Hello, uh, mixtaper? Hey, it's me! How are ya? Pretty good. Uh, just finished cleaning up a catastrophe in the kitchen. <laughs> Uh oh. I tried making a pumpernickel bread coffee drink. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, you called it a catastrophe. I guess I don't need to. Yeah. Apparently, just dunking pumpernickel bread into coffee doesn't give the coffee any flavor. No. Yeah, that's a catastrophe, all right. So back to the drawing board on that one. Well, that's okay. You know, you got plenty of time to figure it out. But you know what? You don't have plenty of time to figure out. Uh, facts and spins? Yeah, whether or not I'm lying to you about this first fact. It's a. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this one in speed round. You got ten seconds to help me factor lock. Ten <laughs> seconds. I can uh, try. All right, here we go. Ten seconds. Ready? Yes. All the members of Pentatonix were roommates with Jamie Foxx at one point in their life. Okay. Yeah. False. <laughs> That's a spin. <laughs> All right, we knocked that one out of the way. Now into the real ones. Right. I won't even, I'll tell you what, I won't even count that one against you. Oh, uh, yeah, you're so, you're so forgiving. Yeah. It's the Christmas season. I'm in a holiday spirit. Uh, all right, well then, my first real fact for you, the band was in Pitch Perfect 2. I've seen Pitch Perfect 2 once or twice several, several years ago. Pitch Perfect 2 is the 2015 sequel to the Pitch Perfect movie, for those of you who are not aware, and it follows the acapella group known as The Bellas as they compete for the world championship. Yes. Yeah, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me because they go hang out with David Cross in some kind of basement. They have a wardrobe malfunction in front of the president, and that's what gets them suspended from school. Yeah. And why they're competing in the world competition to try to redeem themselves. Yeah, it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to me. Now, are the pentatonics in the, the... Are they in the movie as themselves? No. Okay, who do they play? They play a Canadian singing group in the competition representing Canada. Interesting. Okay. What do they sing? Are they featured in song? That would have been a great thing to look up. It would have. How like much screen time do they have? It's surely only just a brief cameo, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. They, it's probably, I'm, my guess, it's been a long time since I've seen this too. My guess is it's either they perform a song and then are out of it, or... They're, like, coming off the stage after their performance as, like, the Bellas are going on stage, maybe. Some sort of thing like that. Again, I probably should have looked up the scene, assuming it's true. I almost am assuming it's true, because, like I said, acapella went through a huge wave. If you're going to do an acapella movie, why wouldn't you include the biggest acapella band? Yeah, and Pitch Perfect, I mean, that's the acapella franchise. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and say this one is Aka True. Boom. I hate that. Uh, I also hate that you're correct. That is a true fact. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. It would be criminal if they weren't, honestly. 
I mean, Pentatonics, they have to be one of the most well-known acapella bands of all time. Full stop. The only other one I can name off hand is Naturally 7, and that's just because they opened for Michael Buble before I saw that concert. There you go. Uh, But while we're talking about Pitch Perfect's movies, let's talk about my next fact. Scott has a personal connection to the Pitch Perfect movies. What kind of personal connection? He was in another acapella group with one of the stars of the movie. Which one? Kelly Jackie, who plays Jessica Smith in the Pitch Perfect movies. Okay. What acapella group were they in? They go to the same college or something? They were both members of the SoCal Vocals at the University of Southern California, where they both attended at the same time. What a great name for an acapella group. Because it didn't... I, I was like, okay, at first, and then it hit me. I was like, nice. Yeah. So they were in the group together. Uh huh. And then reconnected when you know they were in the movie and all hung out and had a grand old time. I don't know. I I guess I have no reason not to believe this. I'm trying. I just I, I don't know what to ask. Were they good friends? Like yep. They were even singing partners. Singing partners, you say? They sang together. Yep. Is there any correlation between either of them being in this movie? Like, did one of them... It was just a coincidence, huh? Yeah. I'm going to say this is true. Going with true. Because, I don't know, it, like we said, it's kind of a smaller community, a smaller number of bands and musicians that participate in acapella regularly. So your casting options for Pitch Perfect, I think, would naturally gravitate towards those communities. I'm going to I'm gonna just say true and, and lock in fact and move along. This is indeed a true fact. Awesome. I really thought you'd think that was too big a coincidence that they went to the same college. No, uh, honestly, the biggest thing that I was hung up on is that you could have just made up any name for that character. Yep. And I probably would have been like... And, and Jessica Smith isn't the most unique of names. <laughs> it's not, and that's kind of what raised a red flag. Sorry, Jessica Smith, if you're listening. Any Jessica Smiths. You got a great name. All right, well, let's try again. Okay, get back on that horse. Uh, boy, Mixie. You mentioned that they were on the singing competition show, The Sing-Off. Yes. Yeah, did you know that the group didn't fully form until the day before the Sing-Off competition? Oh, I knew they formed for the Sing-Off competition, and I know that they decided to join the Sing-Off before I think they were fully ready to go. Why did they wait till the day before? Had they just not met? They had not met nor finalized their lineup until the day before. Finalized? their lineup were they like were the three of them auditioning and making cuts or were they just like i mean what was the situation so as you said the three of them that knew each other from high school are already kind of knew one another and formed up and agreed to do this they met their original bassist through a mutual friend but it was their beatboxer who they were struggling to find okay how'd they find him from a YouTube video of him beatboxing and playing the cello at the same time. Awesome. And so when did they find this video? I don't know when they found the video, but I know they pulled together their money in order to afford a plane ticket to fly him out to California to meet them. And after meeting them, he agreed to do the competition with them. The day before. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I love the story behind that. I think this is true. You think it's true? Yes, I'm I'm leaning towards true. I really can't say for sure. I really can't be 100% positive. That Like, the beatboxer is so vital to acapella music. That feels like a thing you'd almost have to lock down well in advance of participating in a nationally televised acapella competition. Is 24 hours enough time to even put together a song to perform? Absolutely, yeah. I, I just want to take the bait on this one. I, I want this one to be true, and I'm just going to, you yeah, know, I'm just going to lock in fact well it's true <laughs> i knew it i knew it deep down again i was really hoping that you would think it was like 24 hours was too cl- cutting it too close for a nationally televised show cutting it close but it's not cutting it too close if you don't have a beatboxer 
This is what you got. I got one more for you. Okay, all right. You're having another week here. It's okay, though. Spencer Wonderland. Wonderland, We're letting off the gas a little bit. The group eats two rotisserie-style chickens before every concert. This is the fact I came for. (laughs) This is the kind of fact that I love. Thought I'd save it for last. (laughs) Two rotisserie chickens before every concert. Yep. Great. Okay, how many people does it normally take to eat a rotisserie chicken? I mean, two chickens for five people. We're looking at a good chunk of of bird. Yeah, Yeah, a good chunk of chicken. But not an unreasonable chunk of chicken. But maybe more than I would eat if I was about to go perform a concert. <laughs> Why chicken? How'd this start as a traditional thing? Because it sounds like they do it almost like a, you know, like a ritual before the show. They just carve the chicken together. This is one of the favorite meals of a lot of the members, and they said it never gets old. <laughs> Who's the poor member that does not I like mean, this I, a lot? I just, I said it's their fa- one of their favorite meals. I don't, and it's not the favorite meal of everyone. How often do they do shows? I know touring schedules can be pretty rigorous. They can be pretty relaxed. <laughs> if they're pulling a Trans-Siberian Orchestra two shows a day, we should probably have someone check in on them. <laughs> but if they're touring, you know, no, once I a week. No, I assume they're probably more to a normal, like, touring schedule of, like, a normal artist or band compared to TSO. Maybe one or two shows a week towards the weekends, you know, travel during the week, perform on the weekends. Where do they get the rotisserie chickens from? So, we mentioned all the way back in episode one, you know, the Billy Joel episode. Wow, a throwback. About the concept of writers. They put rotisserie chicken on their writer? This is what they could refer to as their Madonna list item. You know, Madonna was always known for having some crazy writers. They have in their contract that the venue must uh, that they're performing at must provide them with these two uh, fully cooked rotisserie style chickens. (laughs) So, I know some of them do work as solo artists. Uh, Do they still adhere to this solo? They still eat chicken on their own? Or is that just a group activity? I don't know. Okay. What the heck? You know what? I'm gonna just say that this is a fact. It's Christmas. I'm feeling generous. This feels false. Christmas is next week. I understand. It's the season. Spinter Wonderland, I'm feeling generous. You are struggling with this here. So if this is true, uh, we've all learned a very fun fact about pentatonics. And if this is false, I've given you uh, a little Christmas gift in this point. So I'm going to lock in fact again. And instead you gave me a lump of coal. (laughs) This is a fact. (laughs) Dang it. But what a ridiculous fact. Yeah, I know. It's so ridiculous. Incredible. It's uh, I love it. That was uh, I saved it for last because it was the most ridiculous. And I thought after doing three two in a row, you're like you'd be like, this has to be a lie. It's the same thing that Connor did to you way back on the Miley Cyrus episode where he tried yeah. to miss it and still uh, got it right. And now because a little a little uh, sneak peek in the next week's episode, there will not be any factor spin just due to the format of next week's episode. So this is the end of the mixtaper for Spinter Wonderland. Oh wow. So I had a little secret I was doing for the Spinter Wonderland. Oh, a secret for Spin? Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you know, it's all about Santa, naughty or nice list. So, uh, you know, I wanted to, for Spinter Wonderland, I wanted to tell nothing but truths. (laughs) (laughs) I told nothing but truths the entire Spinter Wonderland. Uh, (laughs) to try to be on the nice list. So, you have. You've told all facts. Yeah, I was a good little mixtaper for Spinter Wonderland. And you see how it cost me? You see how it cost me? It cost me dearly. Only out of my eight facts for Spencer Wonderland, I only fooled you on one of them. It's true. I gotta... This is an audience. This is an example of why the mixtaper needs to be unleashed. I need to be the mixtapiest of mixtapers for the new year, and I will be. That's your New Year's resolution then, huh? Yes, my New Year's resolution is to be the mixtapiest of mixtapers. I expect some real hardball lies coming down the pike in the future. You know, I've taken a good recharge period... Told a lot of truths, got some karma. I, I, you know, fixed my karma a little bit. Uh, came down from the hubris hill I was on, right in that high of 
having my perfect week to get slammed with goose eggs twice in a row. You did. You had 14. Episode 14 was your perfect week, and then it's just been yeah. one thing after another. And so I'm hoping now, you know, new year, new mixtaper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see so, what that means. Uh, I might make a cameo appearance next week just to say hello, but otherwise, you know, the mixtaper will return in the new year. And until then, yeah. Yep. Well, we'll see you. We'll see you at the end of the year, mixtaper. Thanks for making Spinter Wonderland a little uh, spinnier. But yeah, let's talk about this album. Oh wow! Not even welcoming back anymore. All right. Well, I just you're you're still in the room. You haven't gone anywhere. The mixtaper just hung up. Yeah. Well, I was gone from the audience, but okay. Fair enough. Also, we haven't talked about the album art yet. I don't know if there's much to talk about. Well, we gotta at least talk about. It. We can't deviate from the formula. You're right. This is the only, I guess, more traditional. This is the only normal style episode we're doing about a christmas album this year and uh yeah the album art is just the band smiling in the snow yeah it's the group standing with a blue background and there's snow falling and it's simple and cute and and that's it that's really it Uh, moving on that's the album art check that box (laughs) right now on to the songs We've got a lot of them to get through. Luckily, some of them are pretty simple. That's true. Some of them are pretty complex. Actually, all of them, frankly, are pretty complex. In yeah, a- I mean, we could, we could, yeah, do a whole entire length episode just talking about the songs from a musical standpoint and how their voices work and harmonies and stuff but unfortunately we don't have the time for that yeah the album starts out with a christmas classic hark the herald angels sing it starts off really slow like it's a very pretty start it is it's very like uh i don't know traditional is what i would call it it sounds like something you would hear in a church or a group of carolers on the sidewalk like just very nice and pleasant and then they just bust into this really like a gospel choir they start clapping along and it really picks up yeah to me it's the perfect song to kick off the album with because it does two things. It The beginning half really highlights their singing ability and how they can really sing in tight harmony. Yeah. And then the second half really sets you up on what to expect with some of their other songs, how they can really mi- take a classic and mix it and make it fun and unique in its own way. Right. Not to mention just the whole idea behind, oh, listen, the angels are singing. And then that's what you're doing the whole time is you're just singing. It's uh, thematically kind of in line with everything as well. And, it's, and the upbeat section is the perfect way to keep the song from getting stale. I think they do the slow section just long enough yeah much more of it and it would have been like all right i'm ready for this to be over (laughs) you didn't want them to chance the rapper it (laughs) yeah i understand that completely and 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 the hark the herald repeated section where they just go hark the herald that that's how you do something repetitive but make it fun and catchy and not too much it's the perfect amount of just kind of like background like keeps the song moving it keeps the beat going and gives you something to listen to as they're kind of clapping, but it's not done too long or too much. Yeah. It, that's how you do something repetitive. That's true. I think this whole album arrangement plays a huge role in everything. And that's the thing we haven't talked about much on previous albums and songs, but when you're looking at taking songs that everybody already knows, covering Christmas classics and trying to make them original, it's all about the way you arrange it, especially if you don't have instruments. That's what makes it unique and something worth listening to, something worth getting to number two on the Billboard 200. And Boy, do they do it well. However, I think one area where the repetition gets on my nerves the most, okay, is the next song. Okay. White Winter Hymnal, track two. This was the most infuriating song on this album. Really? Absolutely, because I just don't like it, and it just will not leave my head. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is stuck in my head all the time. I don't like the start. The start is way too no. long, and I don't like the format. But, I mean, when they get into the actual song, it flows a little better. But the beginning... I Okay, I can maybe see the beginning a little It made bit. me want to, like, smack... Like a, It felt like a record had stuck it felt like a record skipping and i was like come on please i love it uh, this is probably one of their more popular songs on the album honestly i would say it's one that i hear on the radio a lot i feel like it's growing on me slightly but i just if we get past that beginning part i really have few problems with it yeah and i guess i just don't like the i just don't like the groove of this one as much really after the big it has one of the more unique i think rhythms to it yeah i mean it's rhythmically unique i think it has some of the best lyrics i mean the the whole imagery it has, it's one of those songs that has really good images that it puts in your head like the whole chorus about the turning the snow as red as strawberries in the summertime like that's clear imagery done very well very concise with its rhythm i really like that chorus um it's true and it's not a song that gets covered it's not a classic christmas song that gets no. covered all the time i don't know what the original even is this is i couldn't the, tell you what the original sounds like yeah this is the only version i've heard and i think that's good i like it when you dig up an older christmas song and do a cover of it yeah or a less least not necessarily older but less popular something different it was okay and it probably will continue to grow on me even more as i continue to not be able to get it out of my head <laughs> part of it too is that it was sandwiched in between the really energetic start on hark the herald angels sing and then like sleigh ride which to me is almost almost the pinnacle of this album really it didn't even make top three for me i really enjoyed it but i'm a little biased wow i think sleigh ride was phenomenally executed i mean i, I don't know sleigh ride in general is just a good song oh absolutely so that's probably part of why i uh, regard this cover of it so highly but i also think they just do a good job with it part of it is you know sleigh rides originally an instrumental song and then they came up with lyrics for it uh and that is a version people know i prefer just instruments well then yeah no wonder this one was a miss for you but okay they could have done something like with dance of the sugar plum fairy where they did just the instrumental version right but this one does have words yeah i know uh but the thing that really kills it for me so this was a Christmas staple in high school. I was in the band in high school. Oh yeah! And every winter concert, this was one. Of, this was the only song that we do every single year, all the time. And one of the best parts of the song is the whip crack. True. And that's honestly why this song doesn't get top three for me. Is simply because they kill the whip crack in this. They just go. They make a whoosh sound instead of a whip crack. They go like whoosh. Rather than a, they could have easily done an actual more cracking sound. It's true. They and could. they just went with this soft whoosh. When like when you think of Slaveville, one of the big things that, like everybody does when they get to that part is everybody like makes the the whip crack motion or says crack or you know everybody gets all in on that and then they just went whoosh. Yeah. No, you're right. And so it killed it for me. And so that alone, I lo I have no complaints about the rest of the song. But that alone kept it out of top three territory. Interesting. But I'm biased. If you want to be in Connor's top three, get a whip. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> but if you have a whip, make it sound like a whip. Right. Don't uh, don't skimp on the whip. No, no, no whip skimping. <laughs> That's one of the more ridiculous sentences to come out of this podcast. Yeah. I think Slay Ride is a good spot to bring up that acapella music recorded has never quite scratched the same itch for me as acapella music that's more live really uh yeah because to a certain degree it sounds better right you're able to go in and equalize it play with the levels 
get everything sounding exactly how you want it. But to a certain extent, I mean, that makes it sound less and less like acapella music. You know, the thing that makes it unique kind of just feels slightly minimized when you take all the time to, you know, if you make it sound as much like instruments as possible, you lose a lot of the charm of it being absolutely not instruments. So I, I guess I noticed that more on the wrong album that I listened to. Because it's way more produced. The other, A Pentatonix Christmas, not That's Christmas to Me. That one was way more produced. And so that idea was planted in my head then. But when I listened to this one, I kind of had the same thought to a lesser extent. I'm going to agree and disagree with you. I agree. I prefer it live. But I prefer it live because part of the acapella experience for me is watching them do it. Like the visual aspect of seeing them do it. Yes, that's true too. That's the only piece missing for me. From a recording standpoint, when it is all equalized in that, it's really fun when you're listening to it and all of a sudden you remember it's acapella. Like you're jamming out to like a great bass beat or something and you're like, wait a second, that's someone's voice. That's not a bass guitar. That's true. Like that's really fun from a listening standpoint. And it's so, I had such a hard time, such a hard time giving this a production score because of that. It's well produced. It sounds good and it is very clean, very crisp. You can hear everybody well and i really have no complaints about it i don't know it's just something about the intent behind it for me it just we'll get there at the end when i give it a real score and lock it in but that's just the thing i was thinking about right around now but next the song that infuriatingly gets stuck in my head and i don't want it to be winter wonderland slash don't worry be happy featuring tori kelly that's correct this song i could not get past the big billy singing bass on this song. My grandpa has one. It sings Don't Worry Be Happy. I've heard it in virtually no other context in my life. And so every time I hear that song, that's just where my brain goes. And it doesn't it's not a Christmas song. No, it's not. And it was an interesting two songs to medley together. Yeah, because they don't really go together no. in any way. I just hate how catchy the Don't Worry Be Happy part is. And it gets stuck in my head and I don't want it to be. I think we should play that for the mixtaper. He's had a bummer of a time. He should not worry and be happy. <laughs> it's, again, very well done. I like the da-da-da-da like, like, where she's like just saying like that. But the don't worry, da-da-da, be happy. Yeah. Da, da, I don't care for that. That can go. Honestly, they could have just done a Winter Wonderland song, but put her in there going da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I would have been like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, that would have maybe been better the actual don't worry be happy part i did not care for i agree with you i, I think that's about the where two go together well actually though again it's like you said they kind of don't but like the walking in a winter wonderland has the same kind of cadence to don't worry but but yeah so they end up going well together it's just not two songs you would like if you gave me a list of songs that i could have put with winter wonderland and this was on it, I don't think I would have ever even considered it. Yeah. Although I guess that's one of the neat things about acapella music is that so many songs can be medleyed together like that. And you can put so many different melodies over the same bass hooks. Or Well, because like key change, changing the key of a song or messing with it slightly in one way or another is less noticeable when you're already stripping away all the instruments and doing it voices alone. Not to mention it's so much easier than to have to... I mean, either read music and shift keys or change the you know, the fingerings that you're doing. Like, just using your voice really simplifies the process. Yeah. But at the same time, it comes with its own challenges of figuring out how to emulate some of the... Like, one of their most, I think, impressive songs they've ever done was when they did Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And, like, how they were able to use the megaphone to get the, like, guitar solo sound. They're like, well, they have them just scream into a microphone, a uh, megaphone. 
Like, it's just very impressive how they came up with ways to do that kind of stuff. But does that count as an instrument? No. I don't know. It's just their voice coming out. It's no different than singing into a microphone and adjusting it. Well, that's true. Fair point. That's pretty much that song. I don't yeah. have... I, I think you'll find that we don't have a lot to say about all of these because they are just christmas song covers and i think we're actually saying a decent amount about these songs i'm impressed i know i think this album was really easy to listen to it's easy to start and then you're just having a good time till it's over but that's christmas to me you know it's just an easy time and it's over before you know it right well the next song is the title track that's christmas to me it is the only pentatonix original song on this album now i feel bad why it was almost connor it was almost connor top three almost this is the song i wish i had room for in my connor, connor top three I, like, I wish connor top three was connor top four Oh, ooh, this didn't make it? No. You'll notice we haven't had a single top three yet. I did notice that, yes. It was so close. I don't like That's Christmas to me. It's a good title track. It is, but I think it just doesn't have the same uh, kind of pizzazz that some of these other songs do. It's not the flashy song. It's not the showy song. This is the moment of reflection. Yeah. And it's really the first one that happens on this album. We kind of get into this slower period with this, with Mary Did You Know. It kind of just kicks back for a second, which is nice, honestly. Yeah, uh, and the bassist gets a moment the shine rather than just providing a bass sound you know he actually gets to sing some of the melody yeah which is great that's something else i really like about pentatonics is how well they do it ping-ponging around from each of the members of the group like it's usually the main trio who all have known each other from high school who provide the the vocals for the actual lyrics mm-hmm. and because that kind of makes sense because the basses has to provide your bass under beat the beatboxer needs to give you your drums yeah but they do a really good job of bouncing around between those three and still just you know a song here a song there you know, like you said, the beatboxer is also credited as a baritone because somebody else will take over every once in a while and let him do a little vocal stuff. And yeah. the bassist gets to shine when we get into some of the deeper register stuff. They do a great job of bouncing around and keeping it fresh. Absolutely, because that's just, you know, that's another tool in your tool belt. Maybe you don't need it all the time, but sometimes you'll throw it in there just to mix it up. It's a it's a, another spice in your kitchen that you can put sometimes on your rotisserie chicken. <laughs> You want something that sounds slightly different? Have your beatboxer actually sing, because that'll wake your audience up. They're not used to hearing that voice. Somebody else can beatbox for a couple measures, you know? Yeah, depending on who it is, somebody else beatboxing really could wake you up. <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, next is the first in the Connor Top 3. Oh, yeah. Mary Did You Know, and probably my favorite song. Wow. I think. Okay. This is definitely the one I play the most. Okay. I really like it. This is another one that I really like, but I think it's another one that I really like because I just really like the song in general, cover or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a lot of really, really unique chord movement that you just don't get much in traditional music or non-Christmas music. It's uh, It's got a very unique flavor to it. I get chills sometimes listening to this song. Yeah, because it's powerful. It's, it's impressive how well they're able to keep the background music soft sometimes, yet still intense, and then they still belt out the lead over top of it. It's great. This is also maybe my second. This is definitely top three in terms of Christmas ballads in general across all Christmas. Wow, okay. Believe from Polar Express is up there in the top three. And Do You Hear What I Hear, the Carrie Underwood version. Oh, specific. Is also up there in terms of Christmas ballads. Yeah, good choices. Good choices. Uh, I really love they get like uh, layering over one another on the Mary, did you know? And then somebody else, while one person's holding no, the next one comes with Mary, did you know? And you know they get, and then they all swell together yep. into the big beatbox hit on the that he does. 
It's it's very good. Love this song. And it's one of their more popular ones I off this record, isn't it? I want to say it's their most popular one, but I have no data to back that up. It's just what I want it to be. It's probably pretty close. If I had to guess, the next song was one of my favorites. Uh, and I don't know. It's close to my favorite, if not my favorite. Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Honorable mention. Yeah, because this is a song that everybody knows. Everybody hears sometimes. It doesn't get covered in a pop music way like this because it is so hard to do and do well because there's no words it's a ballet right it's you know from the nutcracker if you're unfamiliar and they just crushed it they knocked it out of the park as far as i'm concerned they really did i don't think it's fair to consider them in contention for the spin it joan jet repetitive award <laughs> because i think this song would take it on the butter i think it would <laughs> i'm, hands I'm down. okay with uh, excluding it um yeah, this one gets honorable mention. It's a very fun song. It's done phenomenally. There's something really great about taking an instrument-only song and doing it instrumentless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they knock it out of the park. Uh, it just, compared to some of the other songs on it, it's almost not fair to compare this on to the rest of the album because, again, it's the only song really like that. Um, the lack of words, unfortunately, you know, that's you talk about how the vocals are a bunch of tools in the tool belt taking that away limits the song in a way that even though it is really fun and done as well as it can be i don't think you could do it better acapella it's just it's hard to stack up against mary do you know you know sure things like that yeah i don't know they have a really floaty way about them on this song they slide all around really well it feels like it's difficult to explain but it feels like they're doing the singing version of ballet. <laughs> if that yeah, makes any okay. sense. It, yeah, it's very bouncy and kind of floaty like ballet is. Yeah. Of the songs on this record, I think it is hands down the best arrangement. The, uh, I mean, they won a Grammy for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mentioned the Bohemian Rhapsody cover they did with the microphone whiz, and there's that big wah in this song that they do. You know, uh, what's his name? Mitch or whatever goes like wah. Yeah, yeah. That big wah is... You give them a microphone and you've got the makings for the Bohemian Rhapsody. That's a nice little, like, having seen them do the Bohemian Rhapsody thing now, hearing that, I'm like, that's almost like a precursor to it. Mm, that makes sense. That does make sense. The next song is It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. This is probably their simplest cover in terms of, like, they didn't really mix it up much. It's pretty basic bare bones to the, towards the original it yeah it's true to form and i think it suffers for that really mm-hmm. i kind of pr- prefer when they take a classic song and make it their own put the pentatonics twist on it you know and there's not that doesn't really exist here it's just another version of the most wonderful time of the year yeah but i don't know it's not bad it just doesn't stand out i guess it doesn't this one felt to me a lot like uh a lot like kirsten's time to shine i think uh, yeah. she did hit this out of the park really she really nailed hard. it it's, it's, you're talking about how like arrange from an arranging producing standpoint it suffers like they execute what they have well but on an album filled of pentatonics unique album like there's not a song on this album except this one that sounds like it could be performed by anyone else you know uh, true that's like, pretty true the, everything else feels like it belongs to pentatonics this is the one that it's kind of like any group of acapella singers could do this you know fair enough i mean that's about all i have to say about it anyway yeah uh, so next is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Yeah, and mm, this is another one that's just kind of there for me. It's it's good, like everything on this record is, but it just is. It's not a particularly emotionally <laughs> invested yeah. Christmas song. It's just a lighter, fun one, and uh, the record needs some of those to keep it moving. This is another good example of the repetition thing. They pull the Hark the Herald thing again with a Santa is coming to town. Yeah, Santa 
but bum but they that's again a fun way of using repetition of lyrics as instruments almost you know that that's providing the instrumental beat almost yeah and that's so important to do in acapella music to figure out what words you can say that will make sense in your song and sound right in your song it's not always as simple as just saying ooh da 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 or repeating the lyrics you really have to do some puzzling the beatboxer shines on this one in my opinion yeah oh definitely he nails this one and because it's a simpler song i think it allows him to shine it's true we move from that light fun song right into silent night which i feel like that's one of the most delicate of the christmas songs you know it's one that you just really have to handle delicately you can't just come in pentatonixing so again i talked about more basic arrangements this is a song you always have to keep more true to form. It's hard. There's not. It almost feels like you can't do much to this, right? Right. For tradition's sake, but also it's called Silent Night. It doesn't make sense to do anything with this. And it's almost like it be. It would be become almost a completely different song if you did much more to it than what it is because of how simple it is. Yes. You'd have to really change it up. And so this one, they really showcase their harmonizing ability. I think they do a ton of harmonizing on this and. Again, it doesn't stand out, again, because it's a bit simpler. But also, I don't know if it was trying to. This was, uh, I think this one was meant to be more just relaxed, tucked away. And I've just never been a big fan of the song in general, so. Oh, wow, silent night hater. <laughs> I like my nights loud and cacophonous. Get your whips. Phil, <laughs> <laughs> I want a cacophony of whip sounds throughout the night. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> The next song is one that I'm pretty sure most of you know. It's Let It Go. Yes, the Disney version from Frozen. Gotta love a good Frozen cover. There aren't very many Frozen covers no, so out there. No, gotta love them. <laughs> I mean, professionally. Also, not really a Christmas song, but I guess I'll allow it. It's about snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this, technically Frozen is less of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. Because at least Die Hard takes place at the Christmas time. Frozen doesn't even take place in the winter. No. You're right. <laughs> That's what I said. It's like, like, people, you know, like to make fun of Die Hard some people are like, yes, it's absolutely a Christmas movie. Other people are like, no, you're ridiculous. But it's at least more of a Christmas movie than Frozen. Even, But because Frozen's all about snow, it gets lumped in with Christmas. And here we are. Yeah, that does. You got a point there. I never even thought about it. I like it. It's a, it's a good cover of Let It Go, but it is Let It Go. I, I don't know. It's just what you'd expect from it. Yeah. It meets the bar. Not as good as... Uh... Notably not as good as Adina Menzel. Yeah, it's... It's not, that's a hard bar to live up to though. But probably better than Demi Lovato. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. So it's somewhere in the middle. If you've heard those two versions, you can kind of imagine like, where I, this I, it's, Like I said, it's a high bar to try to reach. And I think they give it a fair shot, but it just doesn't get there. Not quite. The next song is another Christmas classic, Joy to the World. It was kind of the biggest disappointment. Really? Just in terms of it didn't do what I wanted it to do. That's fair. That's a fair point. Um, They do that joy to the world and they all harmonize on that in between the verses. That's kind of like the build up into the... Uh, you know, where they're all singing it together. Mm -hmm. And I wish that harmonizing kind of trumpety stuff was more what they traveled down with the verses than just the typical joy to the world. 
you know, that they did. Yeah, I'll give you. I mean, this one feels at times a little forced. I don't want to say disingenuous, but some of those times where they go into those big moments, the peace on earth, they try and make it really huge. That yeah. fell a little flat yeah, for me. Earth. But when they do the joy to the world, that part's really good. Yeah. And the rest of the song just doesn't reach that level like I want it to. It's, it's mismatched. It's lopsided. And this is the version of how not to do the repetitiveness. The joy to the world repeating in the second half, not as good as when they've repeated things uh, elsewhere. Take notes, Kanye. Take notes, Kanye. Don't know what you're taking notes on, but take them. Take them. Prepared. There will be a there will be a test. You know, stop skimping on the whips in all your songs, and maybe I'd like your stuff more. <laughs> Kanye's a whip skimper. Next up on the track list, we have Just For Now. The next Connor Top 3. Ooh. Okay. Another Connor Top 3. Not your favorite. No, I don't think so. I think it comes in second. Second place. The first loser on this <laughs> album for connor i love it it's very pretty it's a very pretty song it is I mean, you start it up and right away you're in that waterfall of just for now's lovely the great chord structures a great rhythmic like cascading falling down not to mention this is another showcase for the beatbox mm -hmm. another great moment for the drums because they just start pumping somewhere in the middle there and they just don't let up because there's this cool part right at the beginning too where there's no other i almost said instruments and that's very wrong there's no other uh, voices it was a correct statement it's it true. Didn't there are mean anything, <laughs> <laughs> right? No instruments anywhere. There are no other voices, and it's just the lead melody that is phenomenal. And then they bring it in full force. Yeah, this one competes for favorite song, but I think Mary did. Did you know beats it out? I'm I'm like seventy five percent certain it beats it out. Oh, that's a low percent certain though. Well, yeah, I know. To call it certainty, my confidence level for you statistic majors out there that listen to this podcast is not very high, but. It's high enough that I said it. Fair enough. 75% <laughs> of the time, I'm 100% sure that it's my favorite. Yep, exactly. You know what I am certain about, though? What's that? That the final Connor Top 3 is the first Noel. Oh, two in a row. You also notice the other two were two in a row, too. Connor will mention in favorite song were in a row. True. You're going in streaks. Yeah. Again, very well done. The, again, the harmonies on when they go up the scale on first Noel and they all harmonize, it just it hits like a ton of bricks. The first Noel is a song that feels like it's built to be acapella. In yeah. a lot of ways. It's got all the bones. You just have to flesh out around it. And they do such a good job. I think it'd be easy to overdo a lot of these songs, too. I mean, kind of like we mentioned with Silent Night. The first Noel is another one that you come in too heavy-handed, you're just gonna just gonna butcher it. And they really didn't. I rescind my earlier comment. Oh, which, uh, it could be any of them. <laughs> which one? <laughs> I'll, let you I'll let you figure that out. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, the, that, my comment about most disappointing song. I actually decided that... Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was the biggest disappointment. Oh, oh, you just moved on in a very surprising way. Oh, were you not done talking about Noel? I was, sure, I was done. I just wasn't expecting that. The, the I expected you to say something about the first Noel. <laughs> Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was the biggest disappointment. It was such a big disappointment. I actually forgot it was on this list until we scrolled down and I saw my notes on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. To me, in my mind, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is a ballad. And so hearing this like kind of jazzed up version of the song, did not like it. Yeah, I'd agree. It's definitely different. But uh, okay, but that's the opposite of what you said on It's the oh, Most Wonderful Time of the Year that it was too samey. This is the exception that proves the rule. Sure. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is a one that gets used in like Christmas movies a lot. And it's almost yeah. always used as a ballad. That's true. And there's so many good ballad versions of this song. But the thing is, there are so many good ballad versions of it. I think another good ballad version of it might just get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, but 
I've never heard a ballad a cappella version. And I think, much like how you said the first Noel was built to be an a cappella song, I think this could have been a very good a cappella song. That's true. And it, like maybe if they had gone super big with it, like you said, some of these songs you can't go too big. This maybe was one that if they had gone over the top with, it would have helped because it would have been so distinct enough you wouldn't have even thought about the ballads. Whereas this one was jazzy, but close enough to the original that you were able to compare it. No, that's true. You got a good point. I don't know. Uh, this, I just did not do it for me. Fair enough. The next song is uh, Mary Did You Know a Second Time. The only song on the album that features instruments, because this one is featuring the string mob. I gotta tell you, not as good. No, it's not. I'm glad you agree. I'm glad you said that. I prefer acapella version. The whole gimmick. I don't. It's not even a gimmick. It's just the whole um, idea behind this album is that it's acapella. That's what makes it especially unique. It's well. It's not even almost that. It's almost that adding the instruments really the way that they do. It's almost like well, why are the instruments the rest of the time? You know, it, it's like on the song. I mean, uh, it's like it's like the whole structure of the song is built around the concept that there's no instruments and. So we have to layer our harmonies in a certain way and undercut the vocals in a certain way. And then throwing instruments in, it's like, well, now none of that's necessary because you have the instruments there. Yeah. And so it undercuts the song. That's very true. It's because they don't change anything. Therefore, the instruments aren't able to add a lot to it. So they just feel kind of there. They play well. They used the string mob on the other album that you listened to as well. They did, yeah. On uh, Hallelujah. And there it actually works I, I like it on that one. Oh, I, I still, still prefer the acapella version. Exactly. I still prefer the acapella version, but it's considerably better on that string mob song than on this one. Yeah, I can agree with that. Honestly, Hallelujah is the only reason I would have even considered doing the other one. That's why I thought you picked it. Everyone knows Hallelujah. Everyone's seen Shrek. I felt like this one was the bigger hit due to, you know, I mean, it was hit number two. And right. Got the award. I don't know. This one's been around longer and, you know, it's got a lot of Christmas classics on it. But that brings us to the end of the album with christmas eve christmas eve it's okay uh it's just an, an underwhelming this is what i would call a deluxe edition track i mean I, I think that's fair because i mean you did already have mary did you know repeated so i feel like these last two are kind of bonus songs oh well definitely i just mean this one doesn't have the same level of a normal album track i don't think this is one that would make the cut if you're trying to look through these 17 songs and just narrow it down to 10 12 wait 15 you know i don't know if christmas eve is going to be one that's on my short list or my long list <laughs> it might be exactly where it is here at number 17. I don't know where the normal version of the album ends. I've only ever listened to the deluxe edition, but I'd want it to end up first Noel. The last three tracks can just drop for all I care. Let me check on that because I'm curious. As a matter of fact, the original version ends after Let It Go. Just 11 really? of 17 tracks. So two of my top threes are deluxe edition only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fact, Christmas Eve is not even on the normal deluxe edition. Oh. Yeah, it's just on the Japanese edition, along with some other songs that aren't here, like Carol of the Bells. Oh, I would have loved to hear a version, their version of Carol of the Bells. That would have been fun. Well, it exists, and, and you can listen to it. I don't live it. in Japan. You've heard Christmas Eve. So yeah, the, the deluxe edition actually starts way before we thought it did. Yeah. I think that takes us into final spin. Whoa. I know. Hmm. I guess we're going to give this normal scores. Yeah, I would. I mean, we got to do at least one normal episode score thing for Spencer Wonderland. One normal episode score thing coming right up. <laughs> Is that not what we call them? Normal episode score things? No. Yeah, I, it's not. So... First of all, worth pointing out, all but one of the songs on this record are covers. No bonus so, point. No bonus point. For music, again, I don't I don't really know how to score this album, to be frank, because all these songs are like Christmas classics. They're established. There's a lot of sentimentality behind them and emotion. It's 
hard to really tell where this album wants to land musically for me. At the end of the day, I'm giving it an 83. I think they do a great job at the music. A lot of these songs are Christmas classics for a reason, and that's because they're good enough you can listen to them on repeat all season long and year after year. I mean, I listen to a a lot of songs every year, but how many songs realistically do you listen to year after year outside of Christmas? A lot of them. Like, and I'm, I listen to mixtapes of like the same songs, you know, like, <laughs> my mixtapes that I just play through. I don't listen to new music too often. The podcast has changed that. Yeah, it's introduced a lot of new music. Music 83. I think that's a fair score for Christmas classics, but I, again, am a little unsure about everything overall. Lyrics, they're okay. Uh, about what you'd expect from Christmas songs, like some of them. Like we said, Mary, did you know? Excellent. Some of them are just phenomenal. Some of them are kind of trivial, like Santa Claus is coming to town. Just light, fun songs. And I don't know, uh, just in general, I don't think there's a ton of digging to do into these lyrics. They kind of are what they are. Some of them are very poetic. You know, the first Noel and the Silent Night. Stuff that's written dozens and dozens, hundreds, some years ago. I'm giving lyrics a 77. It just feels like a good collective score for this batch of songs. Instruments and production, like I've mentioned, is where I have absolutely the most trouble with this record because it's so well produced. Half of that doesn't exist. You're right. Instruments don't exist at all, except for the one song. Uh, So they're, I guess, lumped into this. It's so well produced. Everybody's clean and crisp and clear. They do a good job at balancing. I never feel like anyone stands out more than they should. They're able to take that delicate touch with some of these songs, mostly entirely because of the way that they're produced. It's what makes them so enjoyable to listen to. But just it's a double-edged sword because I think it takes away a lot of the spirit of acapella music to be so raw and live. It's, uh, I don't know. I think for the most part, though, the good is going to outweigh the bad on this one. And I'm giving Instruments in Production an 86. So while it does kind of affect the vibe, I guess that's no fault of the production. And vibe, of course, the last score on my four category list. All these songs are very, I know they're just a collection of songs it's like a compilation album there's no real thread that runs through them but they do some clever stuff like the flow is good because they start with hark the herald angels sing they set you up well they give you space to breathe they know when to put in a fun song or a slow song or a light song or a heavy song it's just you know compiled very thoughtfully their singing is consistent all these songs are fun to listen to and you know i think it's an easy listen it's a great holiday spirit album you know you'll really get into the christmasy mood i'm giving it an 84 for vibe all right yeah well let's get the squirrels off your roof and figure out what the what they can add up for us i know up up on the roof there arose such a clatter it's the math department coming down to check on my scores to see what's the matter yeah Two plus two equals four, they say. Right. Uh, you're going to keep going with this? No, I'm not. Math-wise, all of those numbers together average out to an 81.7. Nice. I'm, I'm it's a double-edged sword for me there. I think that's a very accurate score. I'm very happy with where you've put that. I'm just not happy with where it is juxtaposed to Miley. Goodness. It's one <laughs> thing or another with you. Listen, I'm off the Kanye train. You know, I'm uh, I'm now on to hating on your score of Miley. I'm just glad you're off the Kanye train. We oh, were on it for listen, far too long. The train's never too far away. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, got my right back on. transfer ticket ready. Uh, what was your favorite song? Did, uh, you, I think you mentioned it earlier, but you, I want to solidified choice oh i know that i put in strong bids for two in particular that i'm still considering even now those two are sleigh ride 
and The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. I know which one I'd go with out of those two. I don't know which one to pick. I think I like Sleigh Ride better. I think I'm going to give Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy my favorite. Nice. Because of how unique it is, of how rarely you hear it in such a listenable context. So well done. It's definitely the better choice in my opinion. I like it better than some instrumental versions of that song that I've heard. And I think for that reason, it really sets it apart as a favorite. So I'm landing on Sugar Plum Fairy. That's me. What about you? Uh, my so yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It's one of those Christmas albums that a lot of the songs are in my Christmas playlist. My top three in order, seventy five percent certain in this order. <laughs> yeah, sorry, seventy five percent. 100% accurate. Honorable mention goes to Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Third place, The First Noel. Second place, Just For Now. And my favorite song, Mary Did You Know. Wow. I wonder if Mary knows that she's your number one song, too. That's what that song's about. It's Mary Did You Know <laughs> that you're on Spin It as Connor's favorite song. Something tells me you need to revisit the lyrics a little bit. Uh, is that not what that song's about? Not quite. No, oh. not quite. Maybe it's not my favorite. Dropping the certainty down to 70%. It's lost 5% certainty. Uh, no, but it's really good. They really have helped define acapella music for, I think, our generation. Certainly, yeah. More than almost any other band, and more than almost any other thing, except maybe the Pitch Perfect movies. Only the first one, though. If you like acapella music, I highly, and you want non-Christmassy acapella music, go check out Naturally 7. There. Oh, go check out the, the Pentatonics. <laughs> well, I mean, they have so many non-Christmas albums. I guess. You're advertising other people on their episode. I just really like to talk about Naturally 7. They were really cool to see live. Uh, They do way more instrument play in the sense that they do song. They do less lyrical songs and more songs where they make their voices sound like instruments and do like instrumental songs. That's cool though. But uh, overall, I'm giving this album eight whip skimpers out of (laughs) ten. Whip skimpers. Don't skimp on those whips. That's right. Make them loud and proud and all over the place, cacophoning through the night. Well, you're sending mixed messages because you don't want them to skimp on the whips, but even as whip skippers, they got eight. Well, there's there's eight whip skimpers. There's eight people out there skimping Skimping on on the whips. (laughs) Ridiculous. Anyway, this is the end of episode two, uh, part two of Spinter Wonderland. That's right. Spinter Wonderland is well on its way. And uh, just to recap, our scores, 81.7 and an 8. Pretty... Pretty darn close. Actually, really darn close. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm happy with that. I'm also happy that you're at an 8. The last couple times we've ranked... Yeah, we're out of the valley of the 5, 6, and 7s that we've been kind of stuck in. Nah, I mean, hardly. We've had a lot of them recently. A handful. For you. Oh, yeah, I don't care about you. <laughs> unless your score is... <laughs> Point taken. Point taken. But yeah, uh, thanks for stopping in. Thanks for checking us out. Next and, week's uh, the actual Christmas episode. We are a week away from Christmas Eve. Next week, our episode is going to be a bit different. We talked about it a little while ago, but yeah. we're going to be doing songs from holiday movies. We're yeah. each going to pick six, so we're going to end up with the 12 spins of Christmas. 12 spins of Christmas. And we'll bring them to you next week. Stay tuned. In the meantime, if you're craving more Spin It content, you want Spin It under your tree this Christmas, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at SpinItPod. Instagram at SpinItPod Official. Our website, www.spinitpod.com, has all the info, all the links. We got we got a ton of bonus content. We got 
you know, extended cuts of some of our better episodes. We got a fun blooper reel for our first 10 episodes up on there. Follow, like if you go follow us on social media, you'll get to see some fun posts from we've been hanging out all this half of the week, weekend stuff. Just having a grand old time together in Spin It IRL. Uh, so you can go see all those fun posts on, on social media. That's right. So we'll see you there. We'll see you next week. Until then, have a great holiday season. Have a Merry Christmas coming up. And uh, you know what to do. Keep spinning. Don't skimp on those. No, nobody likes the whip skimper, especially around Christmas time. Are there whip skimpers on the naughty list? or? Oh, absolutely. They're so naughty, they don't even get cold. I don't think the people that have the whips are naughty, to be honest. But... It's so bad to be a, a, a whip skimper that if you're a whip skimper, you get a whip for Christmas instead of cold. No more skimping for you. Shh.